welcome to the latest episode of Theme Warriors. I am Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, doppelgangers. Yes, I'm doing great, Mike. How you doing? Doing well. Uh, yes, fans of doppelgangers and more should uh, be feeling good about this episode that we're about to get into. Joining us, as always, as well, it's Doug Tilly. How are you doing, Doug? So good, Michael. Uh, what a great time to be alive in the history of the universe. Um, but uh, <laughs> honestly, you know what? There's something comforting. It's like putting on an old pair of shoes when I get together with my Theme Warriors pals to talk about four movies. We had to watch four movies. How can we find time to do this? Well, we managed to do it, and I'm, uh, I'm happy to be back together. Yeah, as I get older, any show, including my own, where like I have to watch multiple movies, I start really like looking at those run times, like, uh, <laughs> how am I going to fit those in? <laughs> Oh, man. All right. And then joining us, as always, as well, it's Iris. How are you doing, Iris? I'm doing well today. How y'all doing? It's been so nice and sunny for two days, and then we're back to rain, so. Oh, man. Pacific like Northwest. <laughs> yeah, we're like, God, signs here, of course, pointing to, like, hotter temperatures earlier in the year, so. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful oh, right. right now. I'm just like, I don't want to deal with it in a month when it's already like 90. Holy crap. Well, it's 90 today. Ah, oh, shoot. Ah, uh, SoCal. Yeah, SoCal versus NoCal. Similar, but different. Uh, all right. Well, Doug, what is this month's theme that we chose? Well, I, I, it's hard to be very specific about it, but really the theme this month is films that feature actors playing multiple roles I would well of course I would agree I don't know why that statement well, the, the reason I was a little wishy-washy on it is that I believe it was at one point it may have been stated lead actors but I actually kind of broke that rule and I hate breaking rules you know that Michael but I think a, a vague enough to say that uh, an actor in the film playing multiple roles is enough mm-hmm. yeah exactly I, I was kind of thinking that when I was watching your pick I was like uh, I was like, how close are we sticking to the lead actor? But not a big deal. So I thought, um, because we're dealing with an actor or actress, but I think in this case it's all the actors doing it. Uh, the we could obviously talk about the movie and then maybe specifically about uh, the dual or more roles um, playing and how big of a uh, piece of the puzzle that is for each movie because I think it, it varies movie to movie with these picks, but. Doug, going chronological as usual, it looks like you are up first with your pick by a long ways, so uh, why don't you tell everyone what you picked? My choice was 1949's Kind Hearts and Coronets, directed by uh, Robert Hamer. Uh, this movie is probably best known for its uh, actor playing multiple roles. In this case, the great Alec Guinness plays eight different roles, eight different members of the Descoyne family. Uh, this is a comedy very, very dark comedy uh, about murder, about class, about um, manners. Uh, and uh, sorry. Um, yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a movie that I think in some ways is both dated but incredibly prescient. But it feels very much of the time it was made in 1949. But it is so dark because, again, it is about a, um, a person who was basically excised from a, uh, uh, a lineage of a uh, well-to-do... Uh, lordship, and he uh, is still in the 
uh, in that lineage. So he basically has to kill everyone in front of himself in order to uh, ascend to becoming a lord. Uh, the lead actor, Dennis Price, in this, he is so terrific. I mean, he really does have to play a very – he has to walk a really interesting line where he has to be both a charming – uh, and likable, and you sort of want him to succeed, but as it goes along, he actually still has to become unlikable enough that because uh, since the film opens with you know that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be put to death, that all of this is going to feel still somewhat triumphant by the time that you get to the very end. Has a very clever ending as well. At least it was certainly clever in 1949. It's been kind of repeated a lot since then. There is a sort of elephant in the room that I think I have to mention when it comes to Kind Hearts and Coronets, which is that uh, you're watching it. You're loving it. Maybe you're not loving it, but I was loving it. And I really, I've seen this movie many times and I love it very much. And then in the final five minutes, uh, they dropped the N word uh, several times. Um, it, and it, I'm sure everyone here who had not seen this before, if there was anybody, was taken aback by that. I certainly was the first time I saw it. It's used in the context of her nursery rhyme. It is absolutely horrible, of course. Uh, it, it's one of those things where. It's one of those things where you kind of chalk it up to being of the time, but that doesn't make it any uh, less um, uh, pleasant, that's for sure. But I just want to make sure that that was mentioned. Uh, but I do have to say, I still find this movie very, very funny. And uh, the 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 conceit at the core of it, this idea of someone who is so obsessed with status and uh, so obsessed with um, the the class aspect of things that these that even within all of this murder, that there's still these people who who are uh, sticking to these strict kind of expectations of their line and uh, the way that that gets switched around in particular when it comes to Louis, Dennis Price's character, and how uh, his relationships start and how they end at the end of the movie. I just think it's really wonderful. But really the core of this movie are the various performances by Alec Guinness. Like I said, eight different characters, uh, all of them very different, but also not not caricatured like you might expect. You know, the, the the lineage of these kind of actors goes from Alec Guinness to Peter Sellers. It's kind of interesting. We don't have Peter Sellers in any of the films that we're going to be talking about today. But the way that Peter Sellers did it would be very broad generally when he played multiple characters. But here, there's a real kind of uh, actorly quality to the way that Alec Guinness approaches each of these people. Uh, and they're very different, but they're not so different that you're feeling like they couldn't come from the same family. There's this great moment where we see a funeral and you see... All, and all these family members together, and it, you know, there's some visual trickery to to make it work, but it, it's it it really it feels like they could be real people, and they're also not all despicable in the same kind of ways. And some, in fact, some of them aren't really despicable at all, which makes it uh, kind of bittersweet as you go through the movie and see them all dispatched in sometimes rather comical ways. So it is a movie I love very very much, but it is a movie that again, uh, it it has the same marks of a lot of the films that you see from this time period. It is very British. It is very kind of um, modestly paced. It is a, a film that is very expectant on you having an awareness of the kind of roles that people had in British society at that time period. So I'm not sure if it necessarily would resonate with everybody, but let's find out. Let's start with you, Mike. Uh, had you seen Kind Hearts and Coronets before, and what did you think? I have not seen it before. I didn't even know this movie existed. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I agree with mostly everything you had to say about it. I thought it was pretty entertaining. I love the lead actor, Dennis Price, in this. I thought, you know, him laying out kind of the story, the motivation, um, and the courtroom setting. I thought it was told in a really great way. Alex Guinness. Of course, playing all those roles of the siblings was amazing. And I, I like 
that uh, they kind of went with um, some nuance and layers with the different siblings. Like it wasn't something you, I almost feel like in a more modern movie, if this, you know, let's say they did a remake, you would feel like the characters would be a lot more cartoony and over the yeah, top in absolutely. Like dastardly yeah. evil ways um, where this approached it. Uh, pretty fair. I mean, you know, they weren't all just a stereotypical rich snob elite society people. They might have had like aspects of that just because of, you know, the environment they were raised in. But they all felt kind of different from each other. And it was a great job uh, by Alex Guinness. I, I thought, yeah. And then the, the humor, definitely kind of British humor. <laughs> I, I think it's it's kind of like the dry, the dry stuff. Um but, you know, if you're somewhat familiar with it uh, and you know what you're kind of getting in for, I think you you can go along with it just fine. And then, of course, yeah, when the N-words kind of randomly dropped out, of course, you're kind of taken aback now. But then you see, OK, 1949, is it totally shocking that some of that was in there? No, not really. And uh, you just kind of deal with that from a historical context, I guess. And uh, overall, I found this movie entertaining and funny. And I, I think, you know, especially for people who haven't seen this type of movie or haven't dealt with this kind of humor, like a rewatch would probably do it really well, too, just so you kind of have an idea um, how different it is from probably a lot of stuff that American audiences are used to. But yeah fun movie i i enjoyed it a lot these sort of ealing comedies of the time period uh often featuring alec guinness in them you know they uh, they really do kind of thematically uh have a lot of consistency in regards to these comedies of manners and class and if you enjoy this you'll probably enjoy a lot of other ones as well i mean certainly the lady killers might be one that uh, a lot of people would recognize if only for the not so great coen brothers remake <laughs> of it but uh I, I'm glad that I'm glad that you responded to it. You know, one of the things that I loved about this movie the first time I saw it uh, was the darkness. But when I repeated, when I've uh, gone back to it, I should say, one of the things I like most about it is that you get kind of more of a distinct sense of what the movie is trying to say, particularly if you even think about that very first scene where you have the executioner wanting to know, like, how you're supposed to address his lordship, right? Who's just about, like, it's so important for him to get that right. There's all this pomp and circumstance and ceremony about it. And then you see that throughout the entire movie, people being very careful about how they address people. And it all comes off as being more and more ridiculous. And in some ways, in like, looking back through history, it's hard to parse how much of it is meant to be ridiculous exaggeration and how much of it is supposed to be reflective of the attitudes at the time. And that's the thing that I, I find when I watch this again and again is that it's hard kind of to work out that aspect of it. But I have to admit, I do find it very amusing, uh, even just working that out. Iris, had you seen this film before and what did you think? Uh, no, this was a first timer for me also. And I was so happy that it was. Um, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, Lynn and I sat down and watched it and it just, the pace and everything I really enjoyed, but the witticism in it, I think that's what I loved the most of the whole thing. Because, you know, they're talking, talking, and then just like these really subtle hints of of wit and, and disparaging remarks. It just cracked me up every single time. 
it's the kind of movie that I feel like some people, if I was a, if I was younger, like if I was in my like late teens, early twenties, when I was first getting into watching a lot of movies, I probably would have sat down and watched this and not even understood why anything in it was funny. <laughs> I would be like, <laughs> I'd be like, I don't get it. What's so? What people talk about how great this movie is? I don't see anything. It yeah, is a movie. That, funny? Yeah, exactly. And it was it, to me. It, it, this is a movie that is. Um, it's a movie that I can revisit probably every five or ten years, and I'll get something sort of different out of it because of my own attitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it's it, – you might watch a lot of movies from this time period, especially the kind of the darkly comedic movies. And say even the Hitchcockian movies of this time period. This movie doesn't go quite as dark as some of Hitchcock's because at its core this is still a comedy. But it's still surprisingly dark, right? You still have it poisonings is. and explosions. And, I know. And, and what's <laughs> – What's great is that it's done not in a humor, haha, but it's kind of like a humor, like, oh my god, did he really do that? <laughs> you know, it, it kind of takes you by surprise. Um, just like some of the, those quick quips, like uh, I think one of my favorites was um, Sibylla had come to uh, visit with him after she had been done with her honeymoon, and she is recounting how. Uh, Lionel wanted to go to the churches because he wanted, you know, to get some culture, you know, and more intelligence, blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, there's plenty of room for that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I cracked up so hard. I was like, wait, 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 I got to re-listen to that because that was hilarious. And I was like, I need to be able to use that somehow for somebody who's a complete <laughs> idiot. <laughs> I like but, that uh- it has to dance around sort some of still the the censor aspects of the time. You know, she uh, she comes to visit him at his apartment. She comes to wink visit him at his mm-hmm. apartment on a regular basis, right? And even when it comes to the murders, it's all played slightly cartoonish just to make sure that we're not getting you know it's not coming down too heavily. But uh, but you know we all you get the idea. You know what's going on throughout it. Yeah, and and like you were saying, it is very much the class. The cast was, I think. Also, another character in this movie in itself, because it plays such an important part of the machinations of this whole movie. You know, you have this guy who's down and out and feels like he's been kicked to the wayside along with his mother. And it starts out maybe as a revenge for his mom. But as it's going on and going on, you kind of see that there is like this conceit and arrogance in this guy that had been kicked to the side where he is acting exactly like they were in the first place anyway. So where is that revenge? So <laughs> it, it was, it was, it's quite an interesting movie. And um, I'm glad you brought this to the table because I did not know this movie existed. And Alec Guinness, he is genius. Okay. And all of his characters, and like you were saying, most of them are, they're not hateful characters. I think the only hateful one is the Duke himself. Because the the brother, the the banker, he was nice. He took in, uh, you know, Louis. Uh, I love the sister. <laughs> Getting arrested all the time. The suffragette, yeah, that's yeah, right. The suffragette. And then you got the, the nice guy with the camera. And then the vicar who was being, like, kind and, and kind of showing his stuff off. So, yeah, you know, it kind of comes down to the point of, you just want to be where they're at, and you're just jealous, so you're a dick anyway. <laughs> it, it, but it, I, it was a great movie. It, it's it's it, it, like I said. I mean, it's interesting how your sympathies sort of shift as the movies go on, uh, because you get to know this character a little bit more, and that's really well observed, right? I mean, it's the idea yes. that 
he his motivation at first seems kind of pure, but by the end, you're right. I mean, he is indistinguishable from the people that he's murdered, especially because exactly. he takes such joy in dispatching them. Uh, Jerry, let's finish off. Uh, kind hearts and cornets, what did you think? Believe it or not, this was not a first-time watch for me. Um, what year was Live Aid? 85, right? 85. Yeah, so the summer of 85, I was spending that summer in Puerto Rico, and believe it or not, this movie actually came on a Spanish-language channel with some English subtitles, <laughs> and I was bored, you know, my family, the, the, what little family I have in Puerto Rico, I'm Spanish, but I do have family in Puerto Rico, um, what little family I have out there, they tend to live in the sticks, so it, it's like you're like an hour away from civilization, so, but they do still like get cable television. And like I said, in the mid eighties was kind of a big deal for them. So I watched a lot of TV that summer and yeah, this came on and I was just thoroughly pleased this movie and, and watching it this past week just reiterated that this movie is an absolute joy. I, I have so much fun watching this film. Um, I, I can actually personify your point about not understanding why you found some of the stuff so funny at an early age. Cause it's true at 15 years old watching this movie i was laughing just at a lot of the mannerisms that mm. uh, both louis and the various alec guinness roles were kind of just i it was something different for my 15 year old self so it was you know it was comical i didn't even really notice the darkness of it i guess i'm kind <laughs> of a dark soul at heart because yes the movie is about murder and revenge but i i always saw it just as a straight comedy um, obviously, as I got older, I understood the term dark comedy, black comedy, things like that. So, yes, I see that point now. But, yeah, as a 15-year-old, I was thoroughly um, pleased with it. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie, which kind of shows, again, my dark heart, if you will, is the fact that when he's crossing off names off the family tree, when he crossed off the names of the newly born twins, yes. like, he was like, oh, and the virus did me another bonus. <laughs> about their mother and i'm like who else looks at death as a bonus i love i absolutely fell in love with him at 15 years old now admittedly i have not watched this since then so it was just such a treat watching it this week and when you brought it up in the chat oh the ear-to-ear -ear grin that shot on my face was great i just this was i don't watch admittedly as a youth i did not watch a lot of black and white movies i think i had the same aversion of black and white that most young film you know sure viewers have that oh it's old i don't care blah 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 but every now and again i would see a gem and this was definitely one of them i mean alec guinness what can you say about alec guinness he, he, does, he obviously does a great job but louis i mean dennis price i i thought that was a great role for him yeah, um, he almost watched the movie, the movie which is unbelievable when you're considering what he's up against exactly yes and 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 once again speaking about my dark soul i i uh, actually sympathized with him the entire film and the fact <laughs> That he started to get proficient because obviously the first his first couple of murders were very kind of convenient plot points they were just convenient situations that he was able to take advantage of especially the the boat kill in the river um but then you could see how he was actually advancing and once he got to the um i forget which uh which uh Ascon or Ascani, it, well, but the photographer guy when he killed right. the photographer and after the explosion he runs towards the house and says needless to say i was too late i i, <laughs> I fell in love with that character with that line and just yeah I, I this is a movie that's near flawless to me i i can't nitpick anything negative about it um 
I think uh, Joan Greenwood does an amazing job as Sabella as someone, because to me, she's the one that does the flip-flop. Like, she's the one that I almost feel bad for early, and then by the end of the movie, I'm just using the C word like crazy, like, (laughs) I don't care about her. You know, so so to me, it was definitely her that went on that major character arc, whereas to me, Louie was just like, I never lost sight of the revenge angle, what they did to his mother, what they right. did to him. The fact that they are they basically lived in poverty because that family, you know, disassociated themselves from them. Just I never lost fat. I never lost connection to that. So every time he killed another person, I had just as big a grin on my face as he did. So. I don't know. Maybe, like I said, maybe I'm just a dark enough person to really, really love this movie and get into it. But yeah, this is an absolute buy. And I I did not know there was a 4K Blu-ray of this. I am buying this tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Great. When the Criterion Channel first launched um, a while back, they had a Alec Guinness collection. And that was my opportunity to revisit uh, a number of these films from this time period, including Kind Hearts and Coronets. And it's he was an actor that, of course, I had always heard and always kind of generally knew was a genius. But watching a lot of these films like Our Man in Havana and and well, and, and certainly in the Elan comedies from this time period and also some of his later films as well. It really reinforced, my God, what an amazing performer. Certainly so much more than Obi-Wan Kenobi, if uh, some of the listeners here <laughs> only know him from that performance. Really, I mean, and this is a kind of tour de force, let's say, eight roles, but not as showy as you might think it might be. Mm-hmm. Not as showy as maybe some of the, the performances we're going to talk about in the rest of this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. With that said, we will move along right to our next pick, which I believe is Venom. So what did you pick? All right. Well, I will fully admit that I took the basic bitch route for this one. There's when I think of film star, you know, where an actor plays dual roles, uh, there's two franchises that come to mind for me. Well, I say franchise. I guess technically my pick is now a franchise because it got a sequel this year. What, 30 some odd years later. So. Um, but the other franchise, of course, is Austin Powers, which is one of my favorites. You know, I, I know it's stupid comedy, but it's just something that's always resonated with me. I've always loved it. But to my selection, I decided to go with what most people consider, you know, kind of the uh, the zenith of, you know, comedic dual role performances. And that is, of course, Eddie Murphy's Coming to America uh, you know, I can't imagine there's going to be too many ears listening to my voice right now who don't know what Coming to America is. But of course, you know, 1988 comedy directed by John Landis, written by Eddie Murphy, David Sheffield and Barry Blaustein. Um, we all know the story. Prince Hakim is betrothed to a woman in his native country that he finds just vapid and offers nothing to him. He decides he wants to go to America to pick a bride. Where else would royalty go to America in America to pick a bride? But of course, Queens, New York. And, and pretty much the hilarity goes from there. I don't think I need to get too deeper into the um, the whole plot of this movie. But obviously, you know, Eddie Murphy playing... Um, at least three absolutely brilliant roles. Prince Akeem, you know, is a great role. Obviously, it fits him well. But for me, it's all about the Jewish old man. I absolutely <laughs> love that character. I'm sure it's the most offensive, racist. I don't personally know any Jewish people, so I can't vouch for this. But it seems like it would be just one of the most problematic characters in the whole movie. But ultimately, I've always just been tickled by this character. Completely love him. Um, 
on this rewatch, I actually had forgotten how much this is a rom-com. Like, first, I hadn't, wa- admittedly, I hadn't watched this in almost 20 years, but it was kind of a no-brainer to bring to this theme. But I had completely forgotten about the kind of, and I don't want to say forced romance. Mike has worked with me long enough that he knows I'm not the biggest fan of forced romances in movies. Um, you know, but at the same time, this is the story of a royal prince going to a country to find love. So, of course, there's going to be romance in it. So you just have to accept it. Um, I, I feel like the romance did get a little ham-fisted towards the end, but ultimately the comedy works for me beginning to end from the opening scene with Prince Hakeem waking up with his orchestra alarm clock, which, man, how many of us wish we had an orchestra alarm clock? Mm. <laughs> and and obviously just the opulence of his life. And then, you know, of course the complete 180 once he gets to America and now he's considered a poor man. And obviously the classism, the, the social commentary that's discussed, obviously um, is a key factor for this. But, you know, I, I really just wanted to bring a fun, happy little movie because, um, you know, I, I wasn't sure if kind hearts and coronets was going to need enough comedy for me with these four movies. Cause I figured, I, I figured the double and, uh, or excuse me, I figured our other two selections maybe weren't <laughs> necessarily comedic based. So, um, so I just wanted to bring some comedy to this and for whatever it's worth, my rating might go just on this rewatch. It might just go down just a hair because like I said, I, I feel like the romance was a little much, but at the same time, like I said, it's a major plot point for the story. So what are you going to do? Um, let's start with Iris. Uh, what do you got to say about coming to America? Okay. So um, I love Eddie Murphy. I mean, I grew up watching him right from, you know, raw to Beverly Hills cop, all of that because you know, my age, right? So I got to see this one in the movie theaters also when I was, I think it was in Charleston or whatever, but this, uh, to me, this is one of his best to me or uh, the epitome of movie because it's got everything that Eddie Murphy is. It's got, you know, the, the different characters. He's got this trying to be this, this very naive you know, but trying to be worldly kind of guy. He's in New York and all of this stuff and the how he has to humble himself, I think is probably one of my favorite parts in this whole, this whole movie. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to basically start from the bottom up. So it's kind of like a, a weird type of Prince and the Popper type of movie for me. But the comedy in this is, again, it, it to me it's intelligent, but it's in a very subtle way. Some of the the stuff that he says, the the comedy and and just you know the back and forth, especially <laughs> the barbershop. I mean, goddamn, that is like my favorite part. And I wish that there was a barbershop like that, <laughs> that I could just go sit and listen to just old men just go at each other <laughs> because it's great, you know, they're just cracking up and going at each other and everything and it's it's just such a funny movie to me the first time i watched it i was extremely excited because you know being an eddie murphy fan right so when i watched it you know i did like it a lot but not as much as i do now uh because i was expecting you know maybe more of the beverly hills cop the rock eddie murphy and not the role he takes in this but um Again, you know, it's kind of funny that we're all saying, you know, young 
moviegoers because I was a young moviegoer then. And as I've gotten older, I watch this movie, I think, at least maybe once a year. And I enjoy it more and more and more. Because that, I think it's like you were saying, there's there's a definite social commentary in this. And, and I think I kind of enjoy it because the dad judging, you know, Akeem by, mm. uh, you know, what he looks like. And oh, you're you're the guy that you know, swabs my deck, you know, at the restaurant. You know, why would I want you with my daughter? And the complete flip and turn around when he finds out that he's actually the prince heir or the prince apparent to, uh, you know, this this country. So it, it was just kind of. I don't know. For me, it does. It's a lot of a social commentary on how things go. But yeah, I, I totally enjoy this movie every time I watch it. <laughs> uh, Mike, what do you got for coming to America? All right. Well, as you guys know, in our chat before we all had our picks, I was flirting with picking the sequel only because I, I kind of had the same opinion as you, where it's like coming to America is like one of the most obvious choices. Uh, for this theme, so I was like, I don't want to pick the first one, but then I was like, you know, most of my picks are hated organically after the fact, not knowing that uh, it's going to be bad going in, so I was <laughs> like, I probably shouldn't pick one going in that I know is going to be hated, because I didn't even like it that much, <laughs> so... <laughs> I like the hate to come like as a surprise. Like I had, I don't know what they're going to think about this movie and everyone ends up hating it, but, but coming to America too, I was like, they're going to hate it. Um, so enough of that coming to America itself. Th- yeah, this is easily one of my top 10 comedies of all time. I think as far as dual roles, every, like everyone in this movie that does it, hits it out of the park. Uh, you know, I wonder modern audiences, uh, watching this for the first time, I don't even know how many of them would be familiar with Arsenio Hall because he does a bang up job of this too. I love his character, uh, Sammy, as uh, Eddie Murphy's kind of like, I guess he's considered like an assistant rural servant type thing to Prince Akeem. And I love the fact that he hates every step of the way of having to like pretend to live poor and meager. Um, and, and at every turn he's trying to like buck that system, like, uh, you know, up, whether it's upgrading the apartment or, you know, letting out the secret of what's really going on, but kind of not being a hundred percent truthful in it. So, you know, I, I think, uh, this movie, you know, the fact that there's a couple guys playing dual roles in this is amazing, but overall, yeah, I love the story. I, I agree. Like the romance, I probably towards the second half of the movie, they, they probably have to just hurry it along for the sake of the running time of the movie. Um, but man, it, it is the cast is also a who's who of people from that era. And even probably, you know, Eddie Murphy got, uh, actors previous to his era into this movie. Um, I, uh, I love the fact that, uh, you, you know, you see James Earl Jones pop up in here as, as the King. Um, it just, it's a loaded movie. I think it's lots of rewatchability. I love the uh, trading uh, trading places callback in this one, <laughs> which it's funny because when I was a kid and I saw this for the first time, you know, probably late eighties, early nineties, I hadn't yet seen trading places, so I really had no idea that there was more to that scene than just like what actually happened. And then later on, I was like, oh, okay, I get it, <laughs> I get it now. Um, but yeah, man, this. 
this one just knocks it out of the park. I, I, I enjoy it pretty much the same amount every single time. It, it, it's great. And uh, Oha's coronation to the would-be queen it, it is amazing. Uh, Paul, <laughs> the actor Paul Bates, who I believe passed away, um, that that was just great. Uh, I, I don't see many flaws in this movie at all. But, uh, yeah, Coming to America, one of my faves. Mm-hmm. All right, Doug, why don't you close this out for Coming to America? I think Paul Bates is still alive, by the way, but, um, uh, I, uh, oh boy. Um, I loved coming to America when I saw it when I was a kid. I loved it. I was huge into it. I didn't understand it. I think I wrote on Twitter just a few days ago that I don't even think I realized that Eddie Murphy played multiple roles in the movie. (laughs) I, I, I mean, chocolate up to Rick Baker doing a pretty amazing job on the, uh, on the makeup in this film. Uh, and when I was a kid, I remember, that I loved the first half of the movie, but once it got to the icky romance stuff in the second half, I didn't enjoy it as much. And I think it's something that we're all kind of generally referring to, right? It's just a movie that it's once it's got to get down to the story as opposed to it being sort of episodic regarding all this funny stuff happening, then it, it, it loses a bit of its oomph. But the weird thing about rewatching it, and I haven't seen this movie in probably 20 years either, is that I found the first half hour almost entirely laugh free. I did not enjoy it at all. Um, and, it, it, you know, the, the humor in this movie, like when I was a kid, the royal penis is clean. I thought it was the funniest shit that I'd ever heard in my entire life. And now maybe it's just because I expected it or I heard it so many times. But there's an element of, of and this is something that Iris kind of referred to. I love cocky Eddie Murphy. Hear him playing this kind of goody-goody character, even though he does get to, to stretch his legs with these other characters as well. It just doesn't, I think... Akeem is just not a very interesting character because he's not really supposed to be. He's supposed to be someone that other people can bounce off of. So as we're learning about him in the first half hour, I just find that stuff to be not that engaging. However, and and by the time we reached the halfway mark, I was like, okay, I remember the stuff I really like about this. I love Randy Watson when he shows up. I love the, the, the barbershop stuff. Uh, the thing I was connecting most with was the supporting performances. Arsenio Hall, I think, is terrific in this. John Amos is amazing in this. He mm-hmm. really is. I think he carries a lot of the humor, particularly uh, in the second half of the movie. You got Frankie Faison, so uh, memorable in, well, in so many things. But he's great in this. Eric LaSalle, I think, is great with his fucking <laughs> the commercial and the song. <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot of great supporting performances. But I just don't love Eddie Murphy in the lead here. However, I started to connect with the movie in the second half because of the romance aspect. I don't know. This time I felt like it focused the movie in a lot more uh, engaging way than I would have expected. And the stuff that when I was a kid I didn't enjoy, suddenly I was enjoying on a lot more level. Maybe it's because John Amos is so hilarious in those final, uh, like all having to switch his attitude towards Akeem over and over again because he's obviously so greedy. But what really kind of stuck out as well is that this movie pairs kind of well with Kind Hearts and Coronets. Not because this yeah. is a dark comedy, but because it's still a comedy about class and about you know your your uh, where you are in society and what you uh, what you see of other people and how you judge other people. Except that the I don't know if the final message of this it, it sort of seems like <laughs> yes you should not judge people, but also being rich is pretty fucking great. And you know what? It's hard to argue with that. Being rich would be pretty great. So, uh, and it, it, the movie does show exactly how great that would be. I guess if you start thinking about like the details of Zamunda and how this royal family <laughs> rose to power, this is not the kind of shit that you're supposed to be thinking about. Uh, and I have not seen Coming to America, the sequel. 
Again, as Mike referenced, it, uh, I think generally the response to it was pretty lukewarm. I, I am interested in it, though, because I wonder if my response to it would be, oh, it's just as lukewarm as I found a lot of the first half of, of the original, and maybe I'd enjoy it just as much. I don't know. I'm, I actually am going to probably visit it soon. I don't want to say I dislike coming to America. Maybe in 10 years I'll watch it again, and, and I was just in a bad mood, and I'll like the, the first half uh, even more than I did uh, this time. Uh, or maybe I just can't. Forget the fact that John Landis is a piece of shit, <laughs> but but I, <laughs> but I can still watch some of his movies. Uh, so I don't know. I, I like coming to America. I just didn't like it as much as I thought I liked it. No, that's understandable, and I I think I'm right there with you too. I mean, most of the comedy still worked for me. Uh, just you know, bits of the second half really didn't work. There's for a me. lot of comedy in like the first half of the movie, which is all about people telling Akeem to go fuck himself. And I got to be honest, that is funny. Like I love people who are just like yes. <laughs> fuck me you know like like they just don't get it that they're not offended because they just don't understand it's just that i feel like it gets a lot of mileage out of that fish out of water thing where people in new york are just ter- terrible to this guy <laughs> yeah and then uh talking about more similarities with uh you know uh, kind hearts and coronets both movies feature a female character who is who is marrying someone she doesn't love for money so mm-hmm. yeah kind of nice similarity i like that sabella <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, back to you. Okay, let's see. Next up, that would be me. So I picked a movie that I had never seen. (laughs) (laughs) That can be great or bad, uh, but... uh, Tell us about your love for Dostoevsky, please, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is 2013's The Double, starring Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, I wouldn't say con. I'll say polarizing actor, I guess. Uh, I don't think there's anything controversial about him. Uh, A clerk in a government agency finds his inevitable life, takes a turn for a horrific with the arrival of a new co-worker who is both his exact physical double and his opposite, confident, charismatic, and seductive with women. Um, I I was supposed to say his unenviable life, sorry. Um, But, uh, yeah, the double... I mean, it's Jesse Eisenberg in dual roles in this one, playing, you know, as the synopsis said, one of, like, a meager, shy guy, one of a confident, aggressive guy. There's lots of tropes in here that we've probably all seen in other movies, uh, maybe a little Tyler Durden-ish stuff going on um, in this one. I think this movie is very dependent on probably what you think of Eisenberg's performance. I'm neither like an Eisenberg cheerleader or a detractor. He just kind of is who he is. I think he has kind of like a manic style in the characters he plays, which is, I think, just how he acts. Um, that's why I will say in this movie, him playing double roles, it it was almost trying on hard for me to even separate the double because they still came off as kind of <laughs> similar because that's just Eisenberg. He has kind of that manic, like almost paranoid delivery in like every role. I mean, a lot of people compare him to the way like Michael Sarah sometimes comes off similar, but anyways, um, I want to know what everyone else has to say, say about this one. So Venom, I'll start with you. Have you ever seen this one? And what do you think of it? You're going to regret starting with me, my friend. <laughs> <clears throat> so oh if you take fight club and you take away all the action, you take away all the great characters, you take away all the great writing, you take away the amazing score from the Chemical Brothers, you take away all the great editing and direction, and most importantly, you take away all the fun, and you've got the double. 
I hated this movie, and I'm gonna pull out a chest. I'm gonna pull out an old chestnut for this one, just for you, Mike. I hated this movie with the fiery passion of a thousand suns. Fuck this movie. I, I don't understand why I'm supposed to care. Why I'm supposed to spend an hour and a half of my life that I will never get back watching this completely unlikable character go through the motions of an empty, meaningless life just so that I can get the same goddamn doppelganger story that I've seen dozens of times before and done more expertly dozens of times before. I am not a Jesse Eisenberg fan. I feel like he is, he is Jesse Eisenberg in every fucking movie he's in. I've yet to see him play something that's not Jesse Eisenberg. So, and and don't even ask if I've seen The Social Network because I have not, and I have no interest to. Um, I I hated I, I hated everyone in this movie. I didn't care about anyone. Every single person in this movie is a deplorable of some form or another. Even Mia, who's supposed to be our you know sweet, cute little whatever love interest, even she turns out to be just a just another soulless, empty character that I don't give a rat's ass about. The mere fact that at, at the end of the movie she tells one character to go and kill himself. And then when the other guy actually does it, she goes and tries to show like that sympathy and that she cares and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, fuck you. I've already lost all caring for you. Um, when this movie was over, I was so physically angry, my hands were almost shaking. <laughs> I mean, I literally, if Mike, if you were in the same room with me, I would have pummeled you into oblivion <laughs> watch this movie. Um, and here's a little story, too. Uh, I watched this movie last night. I intended it to be the only movie I was going to watch last night, and I was going to watch Kind Hearts and Coronets this morning to complete my four movie watches. Well, I was so incensed at the end of this movie <laughs> that I had to watch something else to wash the disgusting taste of this movie out of my mouth. I was going to go to some comfort food like, you know, uh, a Star Wars or a Dawn of the Dead. But I'm like, you know what? I remember Kind Hearts and Coronets being a great dark comedy. <laughs> Let me go ahead and watch that and see if it'll wash the taste out of my mouth. And guess what? It does. So, Doug, thank you very much for that selection. You you may have saved Mike's life with that selection. <laughs> my God, that I hate this movie. I can't put into words... How much I abhor this film. It, it's an hour and a half of my life that I will never get back. And I know on my deathbed, I will think about that hour and a half. I'm done. All right. So now to my real pick coming to America. <laughs> a character study about a person with no character whatsoever. <laughs> All right, Iris, tell me it's going uphill. Actually, here. I know, I know you're switching, you're, you're switching to Iris. Mike, what did you think of the movie? Yes, I didn't like it too much either. <laughs> to, be, to be honest. <laughs> I kind of I, I just picked this off a list. I was like, let's see. You know, like I said, I'm neither... I, I don't have a strong opinion either way on Eisenberg. And I kind of looked at the uh, synopsis and I was like, all right. Let's see. And I think you had mentioned that the previous movie from the director you liked. So I was like, okay, maybe there's hope for it. Um, I didn't... Obviously, I didn't hate it like Venom hated it. Um, but but, you know, I was lukewarm on it. I just felt like a lot of the story and a lot of the, you know, doppel stuff between the doppelganger characters was 
covered territory and uh it, it was kind of a slog i mean at least it was only 90 minutes you know that helped that it wasn't like a two-hour character study or something but uh i just felt like it was kind of been there done that there wasn't a lot about this movie that i hadn't seen before so you know my mistake i guess picking something i'd never seen <laughs> um but yeah it's some brief general thoughts uh iris what did you think of the double well, um, I found it a bit blah. It's kind of like everybody else is saying, I guess. Um, there really wasn't anybody that you could connect to, kind of like like. I mean, there is, um, you know, the first, the original guy Simon, who, you know. You kind of see he's a bit downtrodden. He's the doormat, right? He's he's that doormat character, which apparently Eisenberg plays very well, and um, because that's all he plays. And then, um, you know, then you have this other guy, and you kind of want to feel sorry for him, but everybody in this movie is a dick. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody. Every single person in this movie is just a complete dick. And you really, you really can't, um, I don't know, in some movies, you kind of form like, kind of like, you know, yeah, I, I think I could hang out with that person. That person's a complete dick. I hate them. Uh, yeah, that that this movie was full of those people. And it, it was an interesting watch. I mean, I wasn't, you know, completely bored with it. But I knew exactly where the story was going. Especially once, because this was the first watch for me, and especially when the cop, I remember what the cop had said about had he moved over just a little bit, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, okay, I think I know where this is going because he's going to find out this and that, and then he's going to do this and that, and that's exactly what happened. So to me, um, I really have a distaste for movies that spoon feed me the plot because I'm not an idiot. I know what's going on. <laughs> so yeah, this was not an enjoyable watch. I mean, it was okay, but um, you know, every movie deserves to be watched at least once, but yeah, this is my once and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the biggest flaw in this movie is this, the story really didn't go anywhere that you weren't expecting, I think. And, exactly. You know, once, exactly. Once the tracks are kind of laid out, it's like you know where the train's going, and it mm -hmm. does pretty much, you know, it makes all the stops that you would expect it to, and when it's over, it's kind of like, okay, yeah. I, yeah, you uh, know, at least with the Corsican brothers, it was funny, <laughs> right? Yeah. This here. It's like... Oh, yeah, you're going to find out. Oh, oh, look, you did. Oh, and now, yes, that's what you're doing. Okay, cool. I'm mm -hmm. smart. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I w I, honestly, I was ready to quit about 10 <laughs> minutes into this film. And I only say that because within two minutes of the start of this film, okay, it's very obvious uh, Simon James is a loser. He's he's a nobody. He's basically invisible. He's a ghost to the world. Okay. But then they spend the next 10 to 15 minutes just piling on. Just everybody. Okay. Oh, you, you suck too. And, and oh, uh, you need a pass. Oh, you've worked here seven years? Too bad. I don't know who you are. Just all of these things that I think were supposed to come off as funny just were just 
frustrating to me. So literally, the first 15 minutes, they they just spent piling on this guy to just show you how much of a loser he was. And you know what? It's supposed to have the effect of me sympathizing with him. Guess what? It had the opposite effect. I ended exactly. up just hating him exactly. even more. You know, yeah, I, I did I, not I, like him. Yeah, I can't I can't like a person, an adult male who can't stand up for himself. You know, we don't all have to be Superman, but at the same time, you don't let the world walk all over you. And if you are the type of person that's going to let the world walk all over you, I don't want anything to do with you. You're not a real person. And it's just he's a caricature of every movie loser that we've seen before. And like I said, those just those first 15 minutes were such a drag to get through because of just piling on more and more. You're a loser. You have no woman. You're you're a creeper who likes to, you know, look at your uh, people through your telescope, blah, blah, blah. It just the piling on and the piling on. And it was just I mean, I have never come so close to quitting a movie that I needed to watch for a podcast before in my life. Like literally after 15 minutes, I wanted to quit after 40 minutes. I wanted to quit after an hour. I wanted to quit. And then at an hour and a half, I was just mad at the world. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) All right. Uh, Doug Tilly, are you also mad at the world? I thought everyone was going to like it. I have to be honest. When I was watching it, I was like, oh, I hope I guess I'm going to be the only one who doesn't like this. Well, I guess that wasn't the the case. Um, First, I want to say that I love Richard Ayoade. I think he's an amazing performer. I love him in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. I loved him in Nathan Barley. I loved him on the IT crowd. I think he's terrific. I love him on Travel Man. I love him on British chat shows. I think he is brilliant. As a comedian, I really honestly do. I like his writing. I really think he is an amazingly talented person. And I saw his first movie, Submarine, and I like that, too. The idea of trying to translate this Dostoevsky book into a Terry Gilliam-esque dystopian nightmare sounds like it should be good. And I do think that if this was a half-hour Twilight Zone episode, then you could probably make it somewhat interesting. But the complaints that people are having here are the right complaints. It's that it's the characters are so one note and they're supposed to be, you know, cause they're supposed to see, they're supposed to be symbolic, right? They're supposed to be symbolic of all of us. It's our two sides that, that we uh, can't kind of reach for this other side of us because the entire society is built around keeping us from kind of self actualizing, uh, actualizing. And I can see that in it, but it it seems so obvious at this point because we've seen this story told so many times. I do think there's a certain amount of style in this, even if it is ripped off from Terry Gilliam and maybe Jacques Tati and maybe a little bit of Wes Anderson in there as well. But because it feels so derivative, it 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 robs it of any bite. When I was uh, one of the things I like about doing this podcast is that some of my other podcasts I do, I'm watching movies that uh, my wife would in no way have any interest in ever. When we do this podcast, well, it's a whole array of things. So I can say, you know, I have to watch these four movies. Do you have any interest in seeing any of them? And I said, you know, one of the movies I'm watching is The Double is directed by Richard Ayoade, someone that she really likes. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, now I have to warn you. It stars Jesse Eisenberg. And she's like, oh, I'm out. She hates him. She can't stand (laughs) his personality on screen. And I don't really have a major problem with him. But I have to say, I think he is the critical flaw in this movie because – He's very Jesse Eisenberg, as you said, Mike, in both roles. So if you don't like him, well, you're going to double not like him in this fucking movie because there's two of them. And they're both have those same irritating tics. You know, it's it's uh, 
funny, Jerry mentioned the social network, right? I mean, that's the movie that really broke J- uh, Jesse Eisenberg. He plays, he's basically the two roles in this together in that movie, right? Because he's both cocky and incredibly kind of uh, shy and, and also kind of a, a, a naive at the beginning, right? It's kind of his progression through that movie, hit the beginning and end points where he is in that movie. That's the two characters in the double. It's just a really unpleasant thing to watch. It feels very obvious when you're watching it. And I have to say, I, I just didn't like it. And then I went over to Letterboxd to read what some of the people's responses were. And I saw over and over, five stars, one of my favorite films, one of the most incredible movies ever made. This is a movie that speaks to some people, that they see themselves in it so deeply that they feel a real strong personal connection to it and i don't want to say that that's wrong all i'm saying is that none of that resonated with me i don't feel any connection to this material maybe i'm too old maybe if i saw it when i was a kid maybe if i saw it when i was 15 this is the kind of thing i'd be like this is genius i connect to it all i could think when watching it was every time a familiar face to me showed up every time when sally hawkins shows up when christopher moore shows up when chris o'dowd shows up all i'm like is let's stay with these characters there's so much more interesting and fun than the main characters that we have to spend our time with. And all I can say is that Christopher Morris, who shows up briefly in this movie as the uh, workers' uh, services executive, creator of Brass Eye, one of the most unbelievably brilliant satire, satirical t- TV shows of all time, if he was the director this instead, this movie would be ten times better. I'm just going to say it. But Richard Ayoade, still someone I really, really love. But boy, The Double is a movie I did not have any time for. Okay, well... <laughs> then uh, we should probably move it right right along so we can stop talking about this movie. It's good to see your streak still going, Mike. <laughs> yes. Yeah, nicely yes. done, nicely done. <laughs> well, that will bring us to our final pick of the episode, and that would be Iris's pick. So we'll let everyone know what it was. Oh, right. So mine is Legend, and this is basically um, the somewhat biographical crime thriller of the Cray twins, which are basically think of Goodfellas in London, 1960s. And that's basically what this movie is. You've got two, well, two twins. I mean, they don't come in threes, right? So you've got a pair of twins (laughs) (laughs) that basically are running kind of like this little mini mafia there in you know, in, you know, the criminal underground in, in London. Uh, one of them is you know, pretty smart. He's got a good head on him. Violet, but good head. And then you have the paranoid schizophrenic, who is the most violent thing in the world. Now, in this movie, I the reason why I picked this movie is I like how Tom Hardy can flip-flop you know, these characters. Because he really, you know, when they did this movie, they really didn't have to have one actor played both guys. But I'm kind of glad they did. Because to me, it just shows the dichotomy that that Hardy has as an actor. And how he can just, you know, switch from... He can flip from, you know, the guy who's, you know, level-headed somewhat. Still a maniac. And then this violent guy that just, you know, goes around killing people because he thinks it's it's a good thing to do. So um, I also picked this movie because, um, you know, I was thinking about this and then uh, you, Mr. Venom, had said you would not seen this. So I was like, all right, well, then let's give you a, an excuse to watch this movie. 
Now, I enjoy this movie, like I said, because, you know, I like these type of movies. I, I, I'm a huge true crime buff also. But um, I really like the idea of this movie, and I had read a couple of books about the craze. And, you know, it stuck pretty much to uh, the facts, but it also gave you kind of like just a little insider look at the relationship between the two brothers. So I am going to start with Venom. What did you think about this one? This was a first time watch for me. Now, anybody who listens to my programs knows that uh, for the most part, I don't watch trailers or read synopses before I watch a film. But, of course, this movie came out in 2015, which was before my little embargo of trailers. And when I, and I saw this trailer, and it really looked like something that was up my alley. I'm a big fan of uh, crime and mob movies specifically, and it was right up my alley. But for, you know, just the universe wasn't on my side for whatever reason, and I was never able to see it. And it's a movie that kind of was always on my cue, but just always kind of, you know, somewhere in the middle. So it was never really a high priority. So I do want to say, Iris, thank you so much for picking this because I absolutely love this film. This possibly may have been my favorite film of the weekend. I awesome. I think that Tom Hardy. I mean, I, I'm I'm hot or cold on Tom Hardy. I'm I'm I'm, I'm hot and cold, I guess. Um, you know, I'm kind of on the middle. Uh, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big detractor. Blah blah blah. This movie has made me a fan. And considering a guy named Mr. Venom says that the guy who plays Venom, uh, that I'm kind of indifferent to, um, that kind of says a lot. Because usually, you know, somebody who plays my absolute favorite fictional character is usually going to be, uh, you know, endeared to me slightly. But you know, I thought he did an okay job as Venom. I'm looking forward to the sequel. That's a story for another podcast. But this performance, wow. As Ron Cray, Tom Hardy, to me, is unrecognizable. I have to give kudos to the makeup department here. They did a stellar job on Ron Cray's makeup. And then at the end of the movie, when they show their real-life pictures, it's like a freaking copy. It's a carbon copy. It's amazing, isn't it? It really was. I could not get over. Because as I'm watching the movie, I knew nothing about the Crays beforehand. And, you know, as I'm watching the movie... And yes, I had to turn on my subtitles because, wow, that Cockney accent. I could barely understand what Ron was saying half the time. But reading it, it, it turned into like a, a different kind of joy. Just reading his words as they come out and just his out of nowhere comments and just the the way he justified his actions. Oh, God, it, it was just such a great portrait of a schizophrenic who's not taking his medication, you know. And then the calm, cool, collective Reggie. I mean, this this is the definition of a dual role. I mean, these are two. Yes, they're both English. They're brothers, blah, blah, blah. But I mean. These are two very different characters. The suave, cool, collected Reggie, who's running everything, you know, with almost impeccable flawlessness. And then as soon as he goes to jail, the whole operation goes to shit. And, you know, despite it all, you know, I'm we've already, you know, we've already figured out that I'm a dark person, very petty, very vindictive. I'm the kind of person that as soon as I got out of jail, I probably would have offed Ron after I saw what he did to my business. But this movie speaks so much to just brotherly love and and loyalty, even if it's not justified loyalty. Um, These all the performances in this movie, um, not just Tom Hardy, but I mean, um, the love interest, I thought she did a great job. Um, I just, 
I wish the ending was a little bit more, um, how can I put it? I don't want to say anticlimactic because, I mean, obviously with a mob film, it's almost always going to end either with murder or jail. And obviously in this case, it ended, well, it ended with a little bit of both, but ultimately, you know, uh, the people we're following, you know, just end up in jail again. And I, I, I just wish that the ending gave me a little bit more because as, as Reg is walking away and he's just walking, you know, by uh, alongside the Thames river there, I'm just like, Oh man, is it really going to end right here? And then it does. And I'm like, Oh no, I would have loved to have seen just a little bit more closure. I mean, obviously they're going to jail, you know, that that's very obvious from the, the last couple of scenes, but I don't know. I just, I would have liked to have seen one more interaction with the brothers, almost like a, like a coda for the film, if you will. But ultimately, a stellar film. Um, one other complaint I'm going to have, and and Mike, I, I will do you a solid. I, the, the one thing that I will compliment the double on over Legend is going to be the duel um, when they're both on screen together. It, it doesn't look... All, there, there are certain scenes in Legend where the, it, the effect isn't flawless. You can almost tell that like one of them, the lighting on one of their faces isn't quite right to try to match the other. Whereas in the double, almost every scene with the two idiot Eisenbergs in it looked great. You know, flawless. It, I never questioned, oh, is that another actor? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I'll give the double that. And that's all I'm going to give it. But... um <laughs> Aside from that, yeah, I mean, you know, aside from the maybe slight glitch on the computer graphics on this one with getting them both on the screen at the same time, and then maybe just the slightly underwhelming ending, but I still absolutely adored this film. This was great. This is something, just like uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets, this is something that I'm going to return to fairly often, Um, just, you know, a, a different kind of mob film in the sense that it's not nearly as violent um, you know, not not nearly as crime driven. I mean, it, you know, you're you're really following uh, Reg and his love interest in a lot of it. Even though at no point in this movie did I feel like the romance was forced. Um, you know, I, at no point was I like, oh God, why do I have to deal with this? I didn't roll my eyes once. I didn't cringe once. It was awesome. I loved it. And bravo to our female character. I this may come off as fairly callous, but. I cheered for her out loud when she left him as soon as he got violent with her. I'm like, good girl, do not stay there. Get the fuck out of there. And then when she comes to her inevitable end, which is obviously a very sad scene, I still applauded because ultimately it's her only exit. She had, she's never going to have a normal life. Ron, or excuse me, Reg is literally one of the most powerful men in London. You're never, ever going to get away from him as, you know, if you have his heart, you're never going to get away with them. So she took the only way out. And like I said, I'm not so callous that I would ever applaud, you know, um, her choice. But knowing that it's the only choice that she could make, I it just really endeared that character to me. I absolutely loved her. And yeah, all around, this movie was great. It kind of reminded me of Diane Keaton's um, character in The Godfather. Yes. Oh, you God, know, yes. she she had no other way. It, there was no way that she can get out. Yeah, sure, she divorced, but she's still there, you know. And um, yeah, the, very yep. good points. And for some reason in this movie, um, you know, you kind of connect. Uh, at least I did. I connected with Reggie very much. Mm-hmm. And you kind of want them to succeed 
in a way. I hear you. Mm-hmm. you know, because you, you you know, well, it's you know, it's crime, it's mafia, and and of course we have to mention uh, Chaz Palminteri on here. He was, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I love the role that he had. I mean, very short, but you know, it it was nice to see him just pop up, right? Um, but yeah, um, you kind of wish that they would get away with what they wanted to do because you are so engaged with these two characters and, and you can see the, the good twin and the evil twin, I guess you could say, or maybe the evil twin and the evil are one. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I really wanted these guys not to go to jail, but you know, it, it's a, it's true crime and you know, everybody has their day, mm-hmm. but I'm really, really glad you like this. Really, am. yeah. I mean, this movie did something uh, that a lot of movies don't do for me. It actually made me go online and look up uh, information on the craze. Nice. I like the Very movie nice. so much. Yeah, I went to Wiki. I read all about some of their crimes, their trials, all that. It just and it's really fascinating. I mean, obviously the movie glorifies a lot, but you know, it, it's still interesting, at least for me. You know, to read about, you know, uh, crime history and mob history, things like that. So, yeah, uh, both Doug and Iris, I can't thank you enough for your picks this week. Uh, Mike, we'll talk privately. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if you want uh, a book that uh, kind of gives you the the skinny on these two guys, it's um, Profession of Violence, The Rise and Fall of the Cray Twins. That's the one I read. And well, was it the Rise of Violence, was it? Yes, no, okay. Profession of Violence. Profession of Violence. Okay. The Rise and Fall of the Cray Twins. Awesome. I'll look it up. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Okay. Well, let's let's go to Doug. What did you think of this one? First, I just want to say that I wish it was called something except for Legend because I keep forgetting the title. And I don't know why. It, 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 I don't forget the Ridley Scott movie, right? I remember that one. but. Right. For some reason, is maybe it's just because I are, I know that the craze was already taken with an earlier adaptation of this similar uh, story about the Cray twins, but Legend is just such a generic title. I don't know why they went with that, uh, but maybe it's because of what you were hinting at, Iris, which is that this is a in certain in a certain way very Hollywoodized version of the story, and mm-hmm. because of that, Reggie and Ron are not. <sighs> They're not fully reflective of the real people they're supposed to be, which is fine. I mean, that's that's how adaptations work. They really do whitewash Reggie to a pretty amazing extent, right? I mean, they're, of course you want him to succeed in this because he seems, until he becomes physically violent against the person that he professes to love near the end of the film, he seems like like a great guy who just happens to be also a violent criminal. Um, like again, Robin really Hood, have, right? He's yeah, kind of like the exactly. Robin Hood and, and like beloved in the East End, right? I mean, up mm-hmm. London. So I mean, and, and and everyone knows him, and he has all these connections, and they even have the scenes with his mom, just so just to bring the 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 Goodfellas connection even closer. Uh, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, particularly, I love the rise, even though uh, even when the movie starts, they're already incredibly successful. But I love all the kind of the intricacies of their connections with the American mob, and they're moving from uh, owning a club to um, owning a casino and all of the elements around that. It's one of those movies where the rise is so much fun that you don't really want to see the fall, which I think is something that we're kind of hearing in a lot of people's feeling on it is that, yeah, it's reflective of reality. Right? You got you know that these guys are going to end up in jail because that's what happened in real life. So the fall has got to happen, but the rise is, is a lot more fun. 
<laughs> and I guess that's just the, mm-hmm. how movies are supposed to work. But I will say that because of that, and because of the movie's lengthy runtime as well, right? It's it's over two hours. Yeah. Uh, I did find that the last half hour or so kind of ran out of steam. And uh, that's not Emily Browning's fault. She's really, really good in this. They do play a bit of a trick with her narration, which I I, I think was pretty effective simply because – uh, just as the narration actually says, it sets up an expectation, and then when it pulls the rug, if you are not familiar with the story, then uh, I think that it could be very impactful at that moment. So to, to that extent, I think she's really good. I think Tom Hardy is incredible in this. He really is an amazing actor. He really can bring something that almost no one can to the table. He is being kind of showy with the Ron role, but you kind of have to be, right? You don't want yeah. to have, let's say, a Jesse Eisenbergish thing where you just feel like Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy doing a silly voice. This is a, a fully fleshed performance. It just happens to be a lot more showy with Ron, but what's great is you can do that because you've got a much more centered performance as Reggie to play off of. Um, I'm glad that the the kind of sometimes iffy special effects were brought up, but to this movie's credit, they have to interact a lot more than those characters do in the double. Like they actually have to interact and fight and actually touch each other. The sequences that really work are things where it's just little things where he's got his hand on his knee, that sort of thing where it, like the illusion is kind of complete because of that. I really think Tom Hardy is great in this, but the, but I do feel like there were strands in this movie that I wish that it went after a little bit more. Paul Bettany shows up briefly as a competing crime boss. I would have loved to find out more about him. Uh, this movie really wants to be uh, a rise of a criminal empire plus the rise and fall of a romance at the same time. And I like that they went that route because it, it makes it a little bit more unique. But I also feel like if it focused on just one of those things, it might have been a little more satisfying at the very end. Because uh, I think, as it's already been said, you get to that point and it's just like, well, I guess they're all going to go to jail we're never going to see it. We're just going to see maybe, you know, him getting arrested and that sort of thing. It's not like we're going to see the trial of the craze or anything like that, but it just, it kind of felt like it fizzled at the very end of it. Uh, but again, that it's kind of a small uh, complaint overall. It is a very entertaining movie. Some really strong performances in it. Brian Helgeland, who also uh, wrote LA confidential. I think he's a very talented writer and a pretty talented director as well. And I think he's a long way from 976 Evil in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, I'm glad you like And um, I like what you said about the ending. Um, it does kind of, it kind of just leaves you kind of like, well, well, now what? I mean, so they're in jail? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you just kind of wish that, well, I'm pretty sure they just didn't sit in jail. They're had a bit more, <laughs> you know? Did they just stop being in jail? Come on. <laughs> Jail didn't seem to be that much of an impediment up to that point, right? Well, the idea is that they just push things way, way too far. I mean, I did like the idea that uh, the, the brotherly aspect of it, I think, is really well done. I love that character, that that kind of scumbag in the hat who keeps coming back throughout the movie, and we see him in different circumstances. But the that very, very horrific, violent stabbing near the end of the film where he, he tells his brother, it's like, I'm, I'm doing this because I can't kill you. I mean, that really puts an exclamation point on what this movie is really about. It's just that it's also about that romance at the same time and his fallout from that. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, in some ways, I, I wouldn't want to remove the romance aspect because, again, I do think that works really well. It's just that I, I, I felt like the movie was pu- pushing in two different directions sometimes. Yeah, it, I think it really was. And I think 
maybe what they were trying to do is like it's very easy to fall in well, I don't want to say fall in love, but it's very easy to like these two characters, even though you do know that they're they're the bad guys, right? Right, right. And I think what they did bringing in uh, Frances and what happens to her, you know, as Emily Brown. You know, Emily Brown is is like you said, amazing in this in this part. Um, just to kind of give you the reality of this guy was a fuckhead. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You may think of him as Robin Hood, but he's a fucker. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad you guys liked it. All right, Mike, bring it on, dude. Uh, did I tell you yet how I couldn't get Bane out of my head? I think I said that in the chat. Oh, that's right. That's right. Which I couldn't understand. I didn't Bane at all. I kept picking up the Bane accent uh, on one of the brothers. I but that was mind over matter, my friend. Oh, man. I, I heard it. I mean, obviously not as accentuated as Bane was, but... Going back to what was it? I think a point Venom made about the actual dual role aspect of this. To me, this is like the opposite of Eisenberg in the double, where both characters in the double almost came off as not that far from each other. In this one, I thought Hardy played each brother uh, very well and distinct from each other. The character, the characteristics of each one um, were unique, uh, despite being in the same profession and brothers and growing up together and coming up you know through that lifestyle uh, together i you know i one brother you know they're portrayed through most of the movie being a little more sympathetic but of course by the end of it it's just <laughs> it's a no-go for him as well um i i agree that uh man the, the ending kind of just like leaves off right where you're just like hoping for like you know a couple more scenes just to give us a little hint of like what happened immediately after that. Um, I, I I think, uh, you know, if you are a fan of uh, crime mafia movies, I like that. This is kind of something different than you typically get. Cause uh, a lot of audiences, when it comes to mafia or mob movies, it's very heavily influenced by it's the Italian mafia model. And that's what most people's exposure is to gangster movies. Um, in cinema so i think a, a movie like legend gives you you know uh, from a different culture from a different country so there are there similarities yes but it still feels very much uh different from those type of movies you know i i think this movie did a lot right i, I like the era it's in and you know i like the dynamic between the brothers you know it, it's it's very good on on-screen chemistry between the same actor playing two characters so they he i said they he he manages to pull that off really really well this is this was a first time watch for me i was aware of this movie but it's just one like them that i never got around to seeing before but i you know where the double was kind of almost hindered by Eisenberg in a way, I think Legend excels because of Tom Hardy um, and his portrayal of both the brothers. I thought he knocked it out of the park, and I found this movie very entertaining, and it, it just ended up being uh, a really fun watch, uh, if, if that's the right word to use, you know, for this type of subject material. But I, you know, I think a lot of the better gangster mafia movies. They kind of do that with the characters, even, you know, you know, they're criminals, you know, they're doing a lot of ugly stuff in the world, but 
the the best ones are written and directed kind of trying to give that nuance with them like are you rooting for them even though they're criminals not necessarily rooting for them but just you know maybe uh they don't end up going to jail and the good characteristics in them evolve and they become different people but that's usually not the case with uh, mafia people but sometimes with the human element you can't help but you know quote unquote rooting for them i guess but yeah legend i i uh, thought it was a really really good movie good pick, cool. pick iris excellent i'm glad y'all y'all thought this was good yes we did <laughs> and, <laughs> wow we really breezed through four movies that was a that yeah was, we did uh, that was a good pace paced better than all the movies, perhaps. <laughs> but, uh, Doug, what did we learn from watching four uh, movies where an actor and it played multiple roles? You know, often when I'm talking about what we learned on this podcast, I I'm taking from all the films that we watch, but in this case, it's a little more specific. What we learned on this episode is if you're programming a film for a themed podcast, you got to watch the fucking thing first. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to have to write that down and notate it for future. <laughs> Frame it and put it right in front of your computer. <laughs> Sticky note. Boop. So, yeah, so next so next time before I go make a pick, I'll probably have some movie watching to do and then just really decide. <laughs> but all right, that's uh, another episode of Theme Warriors in the books. But uh, before we get out of here, let's let everyone know where they can hear us and maybe in the last month what uh, we've had released. So, Doug, I'll start with you. Well, you can find me over on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can check out my main podcast, Cinema Smorgasbord, which is an umbrella podcast with a bunch of themed podcasts underneath it, including podcasts devoted to uh, Cal Kane, Praising Kane. We have Jackie Chan-based podcast. We recently launched a Alejandro Jodorowsky-themed podcast called Jodowowski. And, of course, it's the home of the legendary Eric Roberts is the fucking man redux as well. Find that on Twitter at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G, or just do a search for Cinema Smorgasbord on all of your favorite podcast locations i also have a podcast called no budget nightmares we've been on hiatus since the beginning of the pandemic i promise that we're returning very very soon that focuses on micro budget and shot on video cinema uh we've been doing some screenings lately and if you want to find out more about that why don't you do a search for no budget nightmares on facebook join our group uh we've been uh, looking at some interesting content hopefully we'll be back very very soon but yeah if you want to follow me doug underscore tilly t-i-l-l-e-y all right, Iris, how about yourself? What do you got out there? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, since we last recorded, um, we did two episodes of BB and BC. One of them is Coffee, and the other one was Earthquake, which was uh, we recorded that last night. And, of course, both movies got great reviews. Uh, and then uh, with Cinebeef Podcasts, we recently did... Uh, was Invaders from Mars and uh, Invader the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then we are getting ready to do. Uh, let's see. Oh God, I only know it by its original name. I think it's the Boss and um, Blazing Saddles. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it should be. Let's see how many people we can offend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
all right. Venom, uh, you'll probably cover the both of us for the most part, but what, what do you, uh, you got out there? All right, so I'll go over the stuff that Mike and I do together. First, our main show is, of course, No More Room in Hell, our bi-monthly show that looks at the greatest in horror. In the last episode, we looked at uh, Crocodile Horror. We looked at, um, what, Killer Crocodile and what was the other movie? Oh, Eaten Alive. Eaten Alive and Killer Crocodile. That's on the latest episode of No More Room in Hell. On the next episode, we're going to be looking at uh, Czechoslovakian horror or Czech Republic, depending on the year. We're going to be looking at 1970s Valerie and her Week of Wonders from Czechoslovakia. And we're going to be looking at 2016's The Noonday Witch from the Czech Republic. So look for that in the next episode sometime in April. On the sister show to No More Room in Hell, which is Fresh Cuts, our weekly podcast where Mike and I review the newest of the new films to be released in the genre. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at stuff like Shutter's Slacks, um, The Stylist, uh, The Wrong Turn remake, things like that. So, like I said, that's a weekly show, so check that out. Um, we record on Tuesdays. Usually our episodes are out on either Wednesday or Thursday. Um, of course, we do spoiler-free reviews for the first half of the show, and then we'll do a spoiler-filled discussion slash walkthrough for the second half of the show, so check that out. On In the Mic of Madness uh, with the lovely Rebecca Reinhardt and the gruff Mr. Brad Thornton, um, we are going to be, on our next episode, we are going to be looking at two... Uh, horror films starring action stars, actually, and if you think really hard about it, it's pretty obvious what the movies are. They are, of course, Charles Bronson's Ten to Midnight and Chuck Norris's Silent Rage, so look for those two on the next episode of In the Mic of Madness. On It's Not Horror Okay, my movie commentary podcast that I do with members of the NFW show and the Friday Nightmares podcast. On our latest episode, we did a commentary of the 1990 classic Steven Seagal film, Marked for Death. Uh, classic uh, action cheese, if you will. So that was a very fun discussion. So check that out. And then the last thing I have to discuss is my kaiju show called Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. That is, of course, with Mr. Jerry Herring, Mr. Don Anelli, and Mr. Derek B. from Cinema Attack. Um, that, that show is only monthly, and unfortunately, last month's episode got postponed due to scheduling conflicts. We are scheduled to get together in April to finally talk Gamera versus Barugan and continue our retrospective of the original Ultraman series, um, pretty much all of the podcasts that I discussed are available on the Dark Discussions podcast network, that is darkdiscussions.com, except for Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, which is available on the Legion podcast network. If you are looking for that show specifically, you can check the Kill the Cast feed. Any Kill the Cast fans out there know that Jerry Herring is also a host on Underwater Kaiju. So that's everything for this month, Mike. Wow. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only other thing that I do that Venom didn't mention is Burning for Springwood, a Freddy's Nightmares retrospective podcast with Gary Hill and Suzanne. And this past week, I was a guest on the 22 Shots podcast. We went over the Evil Dead franchise. That should probably be available 
later in the week that you'll be hearing this episode. Um, so if you're interested in that, go track that down. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Um, guys, in the words of the great James Gannon, we put out two episodes in a row. Three would make it a streak. So hopefully in April, <laughs> nothing comes up. And that was paraphrasing, of course, because he was not he was not talking about podcast episodes. <laughs> He's talking about baseball wins in the great major league. But uh, hopefully, you know, April will be another uh, month that we can get together and uh, do it all over again. But uh, I want to thank everyone for listening and, you know, being our second episode back. I'm sure there's people just now kind of realizing that uh, the show has returned. I have gotten some feedback from people that were listeners before that just noticed uh, the last month's episode pop into their feed or some that uh, just were manually grabbing it. So they had no idea. So if you are returning listeners, uh, thanks for coming back and we're looking to keep the episodes coming. So with that, uh, we're going to get out of here until April. So thanks for listening. Everyone say, Bye to listeners. Bye, listeners. Good night. Go fuck yourself, Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> <laughs>